Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
Star Network is here. I'm real um, revolutionary right now. Like, Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. Uh, thank you for being the voice of Black America, Roland. I love y'all. All momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? Today is Thursday, May 19th, 2022. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. I am on the campus of Prairie View A&M University here in Prairie View, Texas. Big things happening on the campus, of course. Uh, we uh, heard about the uh, the uh, announcement of the retirement of Ruth Simmons. The president will talk with her chief of staff about uh, what PV uh, is doing. Of course, school is out, but uh, what is the future of the second oldest public institution in the state of Texas? Last night, I was in Cedar Hill, Texas, moderating a town hall with Texas State Representative Jasmine Crockett, who is seeking uh, to replace Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson in Congress. Uh, I'll talk with Jane Hamilton, who is her opponent in the runoff for the vote on Tuesday. Uh, Congress is making moves to deal with white domestic terrorism. We'll be talking with a New York congressman about uh, a bill the House is advancing and what more can be done to confront this critical issue. NPR uh, reports that the census greatly undercounted in 14 states. That has an impact on representation in billions of dollars. We'll talk with an NPR correspondent. That and more on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the find. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. It is a warm, breezy day on the campus of Prairie View A&M University, where we are broadcasting live. Certainly glad to be here. Always great to be back home uh, in Texas. Our focus still, though, is what's happening in Buffalo, where the white domestic terrorist has been indicted on first-degree murder charges. That took place uh, today in Buffalo. Uh, the assistant district attorney, uh, Gary Hackbush, said the first-degree murder indictment, which covers all 10 deaths, was handed down on yesterday at his initial court appearance on Saturday. Uh, the killer 
His court-appointed attorney entered a plea of not guilty on his behalf. He is due back in court on June 9th. Now, while that was going on, Congress uh, is moving forward uh, to deal with uh, domestic terrorism uh, in this country. Also, they're talking about establishing domestic terror offices around the country. Joining us right now is New York Congressman Jamal Bowman. Congressman, glad to have you on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Uh, so many people, we've talked to so many, they say they want to see action. They don't want, they didn't just want to hear President Joe Biden speak in Buffalo on Tuesday. They want to hear action. Uh, talk about uh, what the House has done. What are its chances uh, of being approved in the United States Senate? So moving forward with the domestic terrorism bill and having it pass the House is a big step in the right direction. Domestic terrorism has been a problem in this country since its since this country's inception. Uh, the FBI and other law enforcement agencies have been aware of its presence and its growth. The FBI has even noted how domestic terrorism is growing in local law enforcement agencies. The problem is that there isn't enough coordinated effort to do a lot more about it, to recognize it, to stop it before it starts, and to squash it out once and for all. So. You know, the Senate could be a place where not much gets done because we need a supermajority, which means even if we get all 50 Democrats, we need 10 Republicans, which is why people like myself and others have been pushing for the Senate to end the filibuster. So I'm hoping that uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer does what he has to do to get us to a place where we can end the filibuster. But as you know, Roland, uh, people like Senator Manchin, uh, people like Senator Sinema, they have their own way of doing things over there, and which is why Democrats continue to struggle and continue to not really lead in the way we need to lead. So the House passed this domestic terrorism bill. We have a resolution condemning uh, white supremacy and the great replacement theory specifically. I want to talk a little bit more about that, because we have to take a stand on what that is and acknowledge how it's radicalizing people across the country and around the world. Yesterday, I talked about that. You had uh, senators like Senator John Cornyn of Texas. Uh, you had, of course, uh, Senator Ron Johnson, uh, the senator from Indiana, uh, basically saying, OK, uh, this is really, uh, you know, poo-pooing the idea uh, of uh, white uh, supremacy. Uh, and for them, it is as if that's really uh, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, it's unbelievable to hear uh, elected officials, particularly members of Congress, take that position. Um, white supremacy has always been here. Let's, one, be very clear about that. But President Trump resurrected it in a way where now it's front and center at our doorstep pretty much in every corner of the country. We also have to understand, you know, this, this, this monster in Buffalo or this monster from New York who drove to Buffalo had a manifesto. And in his manifesto, he was crystal clear. He is motivated and has been motivated by the Great Replacement Theory nonsense and rhetoric. He believes that there's a Jewish conspiracy to have blacks and immigrants, particularly Latino immigrants, replace the white race. And he wanted to do something about it. And he was inspired by Dylan Roof. He was also inspired by the Christchurch uh, shooter who committed that massacre several years ago. Um, so this is a real thing. And it's being peddled by members of Congress. It's being peddled by uh, Tucker Carlson. We just had an insurrection led by white nationalists uh, on January 6, 2021. Um, so we're living through something that's right in front of our faces. Now, if my colleagues in Congress don't want to acknowledge it, fine. 
But the majority of us better acknowledge it, because for those who are Republican who believe they care about democracy, this is the number one threat to democracy right here. So they better step up and get on board. And for our resolution, we are engaging Republicans to say, look, this is on you as much as it's on us. Support this res resolution. Make it bipartisan so that we can show the world that the U.S. Congress, the most powerful government in the world, is stepping up and condemning white nationalism and the Great Replacement Theory. No, and again, what it does is it puts them on record. Congressman Jamal Bowman, we're going to have you back because I definitely want to talk about what's happening in New York State uh, with the decimation of black congressional districts. But we'll certainly do that uh, next week. Thank you, sir. Good to see you. I appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. My panel, folks, is Dr. Larry Walker. He's assistant professor at the University of Central Florida. Uh, Reese Colbert, founder of Black Women Views, and of course, Dr. Greg Carr, Department of Afro-American Studies at Howard University. Uh, glad to have all three of you here. That particular point that he just made there, Reese, forcing these Republicans to be on the record when it comes to this white supremacy resolution, that is important. Folks need to know exactly where they stand, uh, because as we keep saying, we know that that's their constituency. That's their voters. And so uh, this resolution uh, is important, as well as this particular bill to confront white domestic terrorism in this country. Trust me, if this was a Muslim shooter, these white Republicans would be reacting a hell of a lot differently. Absolutely. That's what they do. See, the difference is that Republicans turn uh, an isolated incident into a an indictment on the entire race, on an entire religion, on an entire community of people. And what Democrats need to do is they need to be as disciplined and as relentless at sounding the alarm about this white domestic terrorism. Janet Napolitano, back in uh, the Obama administration, actually warned about white domestic extremism being the biggest threat to this United States. And she was raked over the coals and even demanded to resign by Republicans. So Republicans have been pretending to have their head in the sand for many years on this, but the reality is that they are ginning it up because it it results in uh, political, um, uh, you know, capital for them. It results in them continuing to win elections. And so uh, I think that the Democratic Party needs to be more forceful. These votes are good, but they're not necessarily as effective if nobody hears about it, except for those of us talking about it on this show or on Black media. Um, and so they need to get loud. They need to be relentless. They need to be um, not scared. Don't be scared of, 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 of offending a couple of white soccer moms that you think you're going to win over from the Republican Party. You need to really be out there because a lot of black people are looking to see what the response is. And just simply spewing these platitudes is not going to be enough. So I'm encouraged by some of the um, you know, some of the legislation. I have my thoughts on what I think what is really necessary at this time. I think we need to move beyond uh, slogans and move beyond branding, and we need to actually be moving on to policy prescriptions. But this is a good start. Larry, one of the things that uh, Donnie, the other day, Donnie Deutsch was on Morning Joe, and he was talking about how Democrats should be hitting Republicans on this, calling them racist. Now, the issue is not sitting here calling folks racist. They've already accepted that. The thing is showing how their policies are having a direct impact that also is race-driven. This is a perfect example. If they are unwilling to stand up for a resolution condemning white supremacy, then that's what people need to know and understand. And so this is why uh, this matters. We saw them complaining about baby formula. And then all of a sudden, when there was a vote to add $28 million uh, uh, to deal with that, 182 Republicans voted against it. Again, 
force people to be on the record with their votes as opposed to running their mouths on Fox News? Yeah, listen, Roland, we have all the proof we need. Um, Congressman talked about, FBI Director uh, Ray talked about this last year in terms of when he was on the Hill. We have a Homeland Security uh, study that talked about white domestic terrorism is, is the domestic threat in the United States. And you're right, we have to put people on the record. And they, you, Democrats need to be more forceful. They need to start talking about issues relating when, 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 a, when someone in the black community, one person doesn't in the black community does something, there's always an indictment, indictment of the black community. I don't hear any conversation about uh, what's happening in this in this, in this, in this uh, domestic terrorist's household. What's happening in this community, right? Let's talk about culture. What's, what's going on in these communities in which people believe that they're being replaced and commit this kind of violence? So Democrats need to be going offensive on this issue. And listen, I'm tired of seeing black people being killed by Western, white domestic terrorists. And this can happen in any community, any state in the United States. And you're right. Democrats need to do in terms of their messaging and talking about this issue. Reese talked about it. You can't worry about losing two to three soccer moms because you're going to lose members of the black community. If they don't see, it doesn't seem like Democrats are really taking this issue seriously. Black folks are tired of watching the television or, or you know, watching your show and hearing these, these situations where the black people are being um, even killed or harassed. We're sick and tired of it. And it's time, like I said, Democrats, I mean, I'm glad that, you know, in terms of the resolution, but we really need to, like I said, from now until November, figure out what the plan is in terms of messaging to make sure you're telling black folks to go out to vote because we've got to get these crazy people out of office. Well, bottom line for me, Greg, and again, it's, it's identifiable policy. That's one thing, but it's also uh, uh, forcing folks hand again speeches is one thing tv appearances another but when you have a recorded vote then that shows exactly how people stand on that very issue that's absolutely right roland and it does my heart good to see you there on the campus of prairie view on a beautiful day man public hbcus that's what i'm talking about man but uh, uh here we are on malcolm x's birthday uh and as he said sometimes you know when your house is burning if these people maybe they shouldn't have a house if their house is on fire. We don't have to accept the terms that we have come to accept. And you hit it right on the head. And and Larry said it, and Larry said we have to push policy, and we need to stop trying to talk to people who have made it clear that reason doesn't matter, that logic doesn't matter. They are in an all-out war for power. That is all this is about. Let's be very clear. That resolution that Brother Jamal just put out, uh, talked about putting out, Thomas Massey is going to vote against it. He was the only vote against the anti-Semitism <laughs> resolution. Thomas Massey of Kentucky is going to vote against it. That clown out of Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene, is going to vote against it. Why? Because their base requires it. What is needed now by the Democratic Party is a short force to expand the electorate on a day where the, the, the Kansas Supreme Court accepted the extreme gerrymandering, uh, gerrymandered districts of the, the supermajority white nationalists in Kansas legislature, thereby excluding probably the only, the last Democrat in Kansas in the congressional delegation, which is the Kansas City metropolitan area, Kansas City, Kansas included, they are playing for keeps. There is no amount of logic, no amount of, uh, of demonstration of facts that's going to stop these white nationalists. In fact, 
what we see in, in, in New York as the governor of New York, who is a Buffalo area resident, as Governor Hotel is up there, you've got a, a, a so-called centrist Democrat saying, well, we should uh, uh, bring back the death penalty. Andrew Giuliani, that clown, the, the mayor of New York, former mayor of New York, son, saying we should bring back the death penalty. And a colleague, finally, of Congressman Bowman, Lee Zeldin, who's running for governor of New York, saying we should bring back the death penalty. They're going to make hay out of this slaughter. They could give a damn about us. And until we understand that the only way we're going to make some progress is not to give a damn about them, we're going to continue to think that this is about logic instead of power. All right, folks, got to a short break. We come back. We're going to talk with uh, Jane Hamilton, who is in the runoff with uh, Texas State Rep. Jasmine Crockett for the uh, 30th Congressional District uh, in Dallas. Uh, early voting actually ends today. Uh, the election is on Tuesday. We'll talk to her when we come back. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from the campus of Prairie View A&M University right here on the Black Star Network. Next on A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, summertime when the living is easy, or is it? Summer vacations, class reunions, kids in summer camp, all fun, but stressful. You need to get into a summer mindset and have a plan. Oh, yes. Our panel gives us their favorite summer planning hacks on a next A Balanced Life with Dr. Jackie here at Black Star Network. Carl Payne pretended to be Roland Martin. Holla! You are watching Roland Martin, and I'm on his show today, and it's... What? Huh? You should have some two cards! Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. E All right, folks, we're here on the campus of uh, Prairie View A&M University. Uh, of course, uh, the uh, summer, the spring session is out. Summer school, of course, be uh, starting soon, and they are doing all they can. You see, that's their, uh, their COVID testing site literally right behind us, and so right in front of the uh, student center. So it's all about uh, keeping uh, students' faculty safe. Uh, we are here uh, in Texas. Yesterday, we were in Cedar Hill, Texas. I was moderating a town hall with uh, State, Texas State Representative Jasmine Crockett, who was running to replace Congresswoman Edward Johnson uh, in Congress. The runoff is on Tuesday. She's running against Jane Hope Hamilton, who joins us uh, right now. Uh, she has been involved in Democratic politics for uh, a very long time. Uh, long time work with Congressman Mark V.C. as well. Glad to have you on the show. Uh, Jane, first and foremost, uh, when we talk about the issues uh, that people uh, care about, I asked the folks there last night, the people who are attending there. Uh, of course, I'm a constituent as well. Uh, I'm a registered voter there uh, with a home there. People are still looking at talking about, in, talking about income, obviously the economy, but also housing as two of the biggest issues they want to see members of Congress address. Uh, what is your plan to deal with the economy, but also to deal with housing if elected? Well, first of all, we are, you know, number one, thank you for having me uh, here with you today, uh, for taking out the time to talk to me about this very important election. Uh, this seat has been... Uh, you know, served by Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson now for 30 years. She announced her retirement, and we are in the runoff right now. Um, you can also vote early tomorrow until 7 p.m., today until 7 p.m., and Election Day is next Tuesday. You are absolutely right. Right now, we are hurting. 
constituents in CD30 are dealing with inflation. We are dealing with a uh, lack of opportunities right now, and we are dealing with a housing crisis, and we're dealing with a health care crisis. So when we talk about housing, we really have to look at increasing housing stock. That is just truly important. We have people moving in at a rate that is unbelievable uh, from New York, from California, from all of these various places, and we just don't have enough housing, and we definitely do not have enough affordable housing. So we definitely have to look at increasing the housing stock immediately. I do know that there are discussions about that. There are plans about that on the city level, and we need to continue to push for that. In terms of jobs in the economy, Texas, and especially this area, we haven't necessarily had a lack of jobs. The issue that we have, especially in Congressional District 30, is that we have a lack of good-paying jobs, right? So we have a lot of people who are raising children. I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. Uh, and, you know, the jobs that are out here, they aren't paying what's needed. They are not considering inflation, high gas prices, high groceries. Everything is going up, and the pay is not keeping up with what we need to live on. And so that has been the issue. People are choosing and making real-life choices. Do I go to work or do I stay home and watch my child? Because child care is too high. And that's what we're dealing with here on the ground. And so we have to make sure that we are working with businesses as well as working with elected officials to use our leverage to push on these companies to raise what they are paying. They do not have to wait for a bill from Congress, okay, to raise the rate that they are paying their workers. And so we're going to continue to push on that. But we also need to make sure that we are bringing jobs into Congressional District 30. I want to be on the front lines with Biden on the fight to bring back manufacturing jobs to the United States. 74% of computer chips are made in East Asia. That is a problem. We could be making those chips right here in Congressional District 30, but we need to bring manufacturing back. We saw in the pandemic that we were at the behest, really, of China, Russia, and the Middle East you know, waiting for simple things uh, during the pandemic, like toilet tissues and, you know, whatever else other uh, products that we were trying to purchase. And so we've got to get jobs back here, and Congressional District 30 is ready for those jobs. When you talk about uh, that, yes, you're right, employers don't have to wait for Congress on that, but the reality is uh, they're not doing that. And so uh, that's why the Poor People's Campaign has been talking about uh, Fight for 15, uh, but also uh, cities and counties could actually do that. And so uh, have you uh, been pushing uh, elected representatives on the city level and the county level to actually pass $15 as a minimum wage or a living wage? Absolutely. I have been in this fight now, Roland, for 23 years. I started organizing on the ground at the age of 21. That's why I have endorsements like State Senator Royce West and Ron Kirk having, and Congressman Vesey having worked side by side uh, with working people for years and with labor. As you know, our labor unions are on the forefront of that fight. I am endorsed by many of the labor unions here because they know that I have been with them on this fight to have these wages increase. But the truth is, Roland, that we have to, you know, have our elected officials really put pressure on people that we have relationships with, that they have relationships with, who have these businesses, right, to bring them to the table and say, hey, listen, how do we work together to get these wages up? What do we need to do? 
what do you need and what do we need to do to make this happen? We have to have those kinds of conversations. And another thing that I really want to see improvement on is that we are way too siloed, right? When you're in Congress, you tend to deal with your congressional colleagues. When you're in the state house, you tend to deal with your uh, state house colleagues. When you're on the city level, you're dealing with council members. We have got to get, especially for black people and people of color, where our city officials are talking to our state level officials and they are talking to our congressional officials, where we are together on letters demanding things of our business owners, of people who are right here in our district that really depend on elected officials for things that they need. We have to have a win-win solution, and we've got to be able to use our leverage and our numbers as elected officials together to sign on, whether it's a letter or whether it's a joint legislation, whether you're looking at something in the House and then also looking at something in Congress and bringing it to them to say, this is what we want and this is what we need for our community. But we've got to be better aligned for our community. Get a, a voter out there. Let's say they're undecided, and they are. Uh, they've heard what um, they've heard. What President Crockett has to say. They've heard what you had to say. Uh, what would you say is the one thing uh, that you would say that stands out between the two, two between the two of you that that person you want them to pick you? What is that one thing? Since you're making me choose one thing, I'm going to say it's experience. You know, I'm not going in, uh, you know, I'd say as a typical freshman, right? I'm going in with over 10 years of experience in Congress. That is meaningful. Why? I worked on the U.S. House Rules Committee. No, I don't know what you, what you say in Congress. Right. We say, what you say in Congress in terms of you've worked in Congress, not served in Congress. You've worked. I've, wor I've worked in Congress at the U and the U.S. Rules Committee. That's the last—well, I say serve because I'm a public servant. I might not have a title, and that, that's—we have to get beyond that, right? When you've been in something for 23 years and you've taken the financial sacrifices, frankly, that I have, that I have and my family has, I'm a public servant. So I just want to clear that up. So I have definitely served the public. But yes, I have worked for Congressman uh, Martin Frost on the U.S. House Rules Committee. That's the last stop before any bill can get to the House floor. All kind of procedure happens at that level, right? I understand the process. I have also served as Congressman Mark Vesey's chief of staff, and I've earned my top secret clearance. I am ready on day one. I don't have to learn about how Congress works. And right now, we are in an urgent state. We have so many needs and so many issues on the table, whether it's jobs in the economy, inflation, health care, the housing crisis. And right now, we just don't have the time for on-the-job training. And that's just where we are. One of the things that we also talk about, um, issues uh, that, that, are, that are coming up, that, that are specific to uh, the district uh, also has to do, uh, we, we talked about, of course, uh, economics, we talked about housing, uh, but what, what also is the changing nature uh, of uh, the district as well, voter suppression in terms of what is happening, the gerrymandering that is going on. And so uh, when it comes to uh, the role that you will play when it comes to th that particular issue, Voting Rights Act, those issues, uh, lay out what you can do uh, to get folks to get this over the hump in order to deal with uh, the voter suppression that Republicans have been dealing with. And, of course, we certainly saw it in the Texas legislature. We've seen it in Georgia and Florida and other places as well. Yes, thank you for that. This is another area in where there are clear, clear lines of delineation between myself and my opponent, Crockett. Number one, this is 
rhetoric versus results. In terms of my results, I can speak to exactly what I have done. In 2011, I sued the governor of Texas and Greg Abbott against the redistricting discriminatory bill that was passed out of the House, and I sued him against the against a discriminatory voter photo ID law. You may remember that. And guess what? We were told that there was no way that we could win in that lawsuit in the state of Texas, but we did win. We won on both instances. We beat Greg Abbott and the governor of Texas, and we beat those horrible bills back. But we were able to win that because, at the time, we still had Section 4 and Section 5 of the Voting Rights. So when we are hearing and we're talking about restoration of the Voting Rights Act, that's what we're talking about. Once Section 4 and 5 was stripped, it was basically gutted. And it left people in Texas, in states like Texas, that have a history of discrimination. It left us unprotected. It left us without preclearance. Once a state like Texas that has a history of voter suppression is able to pass anything that they want out of the state legislature, we see what happens. We have the worst voter suppression bill that we have seen ever in the state of Texas. And that's why it is so unfortunate that my opponent did not go back once quorum was restored to actually vote against the bill. Our jobs as elected officials are are, and people vote us in office, to act, to vote, to be their voice. And that is what we are, you know, running for. And in Congress, I have experience with voting rights as well, because as the chief of staff to Congressman Mark V.C., I led the formation of the Voting Rights Caucus. The Voting Rights Caucus is very important. The members who are on the front lines of the voting rights fight today, like Terry Sewell and Clyburn and so many others, and Congressman Vesey, who's the chair of that caucus, they use the Voting Rights Caucus to align on legislation and to align on messaging. So the first thing that I would do as a member of co Congress, first of all, is join that caucus and be on the front lines of the lawsuits that we hear, have here in Texas and continue on with that fight. Well, we talk about um, uh, how what happening was happening there in uh, D.C. But the reality is, as I said uh, last night, congressional districts are made up uh, of 700,000 people. Uh, it's about local politics as well. Um, what will you do if elected uh, to improve the cities in your congressional district? It's called, you know, they all talk about bringing home the bacon. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. 
I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. That's really what people send folks to Congress to do, not to focus on national or international issues, focus on local issues. That's right. We want the money. We want the resources. It really is that simple. And the thing about this district uh, that you mentioned early on uh, is that, and you know it well, right, being in Cedar Hill and having voted, uh, you have history here. And what we're seeing in Congressional District 30 is it has been one of the most packed African-American districts in the nation. It still is. However, it is a little bit more diverse when we talk about socioeconomics, right? We've got uptown, we've got downtown, and we have, those are some of the more affluent areas um, along Turtle Creek. But we also have some of the poorest areas. And, you know, when we talk about health insurance, the highest numbers of uninsured in this district. And we are in a district of the haves and have-nots. How do we bridge that gap? In a city like Dallas, where one in three children live in poverty, in a city like Dallas, where we have the second largest mental health institution, that's the Dallas County Jail. Dallas has also been ranked as one of the worst cities for economic mobility. How do we tackle that? Well, first of all, we've got to be on the front lines of bringing in this $27 billion. And in order to do that, you have to have relationships. I am a coalition builder. I'm not somebody that's going to throw bombs at people or, you know, throw a rock and hop my hand. I am very transparent. I, I love to be at the table and negotiate to get things done. That's what we're going to need. Because in order to get that $27 billion, we're going to have to work with everybody. We're going to have to work with our Democratic colleagues as well as Republicans, especially business owners. And we have to work with our community. As chief of staff to Congressman Mark Vesey, I am, along with him, responsible for securing millions in federal grants. And let me tell you about the pressure of that. When you have the city of Dallas going after the same money as a nonprofit community organization group, you have to make that decision. And Roland, make no mistake about it, airmarks are back. 
So you could be in a situation where you have millions of dollars and you've got 60 applicants for only 15 slots. What do you do? We need members of Congress that are going to make sure that community organizations, nonprofit organizations, businesses in our communities, Cedar Hill, DeSoto, Lancaster, right, that they are actually getting that funding. And that is what I want to do. Also, as the chief of staff to Congressman BC, I helped bring SBA, the SBA, together with local business owners so that they can understand federal contracting. And I am so very proud to say that we had success stories out of that, out of bringing that together. Right now, we need more CDFIs. That's community development financial institutions. Banks have been given millions of dollars, yet they look at the cost of underwriting alone and they say, well, if we're going to spend $35,000 on a $25,000 loan, we'll pass. Well, guess what? Now what we're doing is we're pushing them. CDFI in our community that's going to work with people in our community so that we can follow the money. I am going to D.C. to follow the money, to fight for the money, and to bring the money home. Make no mistake about that. All right. Jane Hope Hamilton, we surely appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Uh, election uh, takes place on Tuesday. We'll see Tuesday night who is the winner uh, between you and Representative Jasmine Crockett. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Uh, bring the panel here real quick, uh, Larry, Reese, and uh, Greg. I'll start uh, with you, Greg. Um, we, we, we look at these elections. We see the runoffs happening in Texas. We look at Summer Lee uh, there in Pennsylvania. Uh, and, I, and I keep saying this, uh, how every vote matters. Lee wins that race by 400 votes. Uh, and uh, we still see them counting ballots on the Republican side, uh, who's going to represent them for the United States Senate in Pennsylvania. Uh, and I, I get a kick out of folks who are always talking about uh, you know, what they want. They want tangibles, but you kind of got to have somebody who's in position, which means you kind of got to vote for them. Uh, and so that also, what jumps out at me, people need to understand you can't get things if you don't put people in place who can provide you things, and those people can't get in place if you do not vote. That's right, Roland. There are real choices to be made. Now, do we need independent black politics? Absolutely. I am number one in the line for that. But right now, we are in a two-party system. And so, in cases like, as you mentioned, in Pennsylvania, our brother Malcolm Kenyatta out of Philly, he lost the, uh, lost the primary and immediately said, I'm going to go out here and campaign for the nominee. Why? You got to understand, there are two sides in this. There's the white nationalists and there's everybody else. Now, this this case is intriguing. Listening to uh, Sister Hamilton, she's a policy wonk. She has worked on the inside. Now, this isn't a matter of ideology. I mean, the same congressman she 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 worked for uh, also endorsed Chantel Brown against Nina Turner in Ohio. So this isn't an ideological split here. What you got is two sisters who are running for a safe seat. Now, what I find intriguing is, what I find intriguing is that, uh, you know, there's a sense in watching yesterday, uh, Sister Crockett, and, you know, Eddie Bernice Johnson sitting there with her, there's almost a sense that they're trying to confer an incumbency on her. But what I heard tonight was very impressive. I don't think we lose one way or the other, but my question to her would have been, when you come in with 18% of the vote against somebody who had nearly 49% of the vote and has probably more of those elected officials in terms of the Congress behind her, 
How are you going to distinguish yourself when you've got Ron Kirk, you've got the current Dallas County Commissioner, you've got a number of other people behind you, but it's not at all clear to me how she can overcome that kind of weaponized, conferred in kind of insurgent stuff. And maybe, Reese or Larry, you can walk me through it because I'm not close enough to that process to understand how to distinguish between those two sisters at this point, at least in terms of who's going to turn out and vote. Well, again... Uh, but I, I'll be honest, Reese. It comes again. It comes down to how do you get your people out? I'm gonna use the I'm gonna use the Summer League race as an example. Uh, the APAC PAC dropped three point three million dollars against her, uh, supporting her opponent, flooding the airwaves. What happened? She simply out hustled them on the ground. Uh, this is the thing that, that I keep saying when you look at these races, uh, these Democratic strategists, largely white, they love talking about to spend money, flood the television markets uh, with the money. But at the end of the day, voting is based upon who turns out. If you be, if you knock on enough doors, if you get your people out, you can defeat endorsements. You can defeat money, no matter whether you're in Texas or Pennsylvania or North Carolina. That should be the lesson for any Democrat or anybody talking about them losing in November. No, it's not getting Guaranteed, the Republicans will win. You gotta out, you gotta outwork them and out hustle them. You have to, but I, I want to add to it. You have to have credibility, and when you have credibility and when you have relationships, which is part of that out hustling, then all the money in the world is not going to undo the the relationship that you've built and the rapport that you've built with your constituents or would be constituents. And so, um, I'm with you, Dr. Carr. I found Miss um, Hope uh, Hamilton very impressive. Uh, I think that her talk about, you know, knowing the process and she's she was talking in a wonky way, in a way that's not necessarily as compelling and grabbing. It's not a slogan. It's not an elevator pitch. But um, you do need somebody who knows who has experience. But I think that this race also represents the best of what we have to offer and the re and why we should be competing, even if it's against each other. I don't see a loss either way. I, I'm not familiar enough with either of their records to, to make a judgment on who's better. But I definitely think that, you know, she has a lot of ground to make up. But I also would disagree with you a little bit, too, Dr. Carr. I don't know if it's unnecessarily unfair to, you know, the fact that, you know, um, um, Congresswoman Bernice Johnson is kind of kind of bestowing her incumbency on Jasmine Crockett. Hey, that's relationship building. She's done something. Uh, you know, if 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 uh, I don't want to say homegirl because I don't want to be like that. But, you know, if Hope Hamilton was on the hill with Mark Vinsley, maybe she should have been rubbing apples a little bit more with Bernice Johnson. Politics is relationships. She has her endorsements. Jasmine, Representative Cocker, has hers. And it's on for the voters to decide. But I think it will come down to who's made the case directly to the people. When you have more resources, you can make the case to more people. When you have more surrogates, you can make the case to more people. But I just, I, I'm with you. I find this very, very interesting. But I think that that either way, the constituents will win. But I did detect some shade. I, I was curious I what she example. meant there I, because, oh. you know, it was a little <laughs> bit of shade she was throwing right. about you know, uh, work with things. So, so I don't know some of the nuances, but, you know, I know that some of these younger, you know, the Bowmans, and I like Congressman, Congressman Bowman, and I like, you know, Cory Bush and all them, but some of them are a little bit more flamethrowers and a little bit, you know, less, you know, uh, collaborative in terms of working across all, even within the caucus. So I don't know if that was that, that, was that about, but I, I, I think that either way that the constituents of that district are going to win. 
Well, Larry, I'll tell you this here. Uh, you look at the Oregon race where you had an incumbent moderate uh, Democrat who lost to uh, a strong progressive. Uh, at the end of the day, nobody is guaranteed wins. And so I get a kick out of these folks who complain when they have when they face opposition in primaries. Well, no one just hands you an office. You got to earn it. You got to run and you got to go out there and get the votes to win. Yeah, so we remember the story of Congressman Crowley, right? Yeah, so you got to do the work. And you, you just highlighted what happened in Oregon, but in terms of progressive candidates, you can you can win, but you got to you got to pound the pavement. And, you know, as my former boss, Congressman Owens, used to talk about. And I want to kind of highlight a point that uh, Reese and, and Dr. Carr made. I was very impressed by candidate Hamilton, what she had to say. So I'm a former congressional staffer, so I'm a policy wonk. So I was I enjoyed hearing her, you know, talk about all the programs, SBA, et cetera, that she was involved in. But how does that how does that what does that mean for the people in, in the community? Right. So there's a way you talk to talk, you know, you know, talk to people like us, right? In terms of having this conversation using these using these acronyms, there's a lot of acronyms, right? But how does it what does that mean for the people in the community? So I'm hoping she's pounding the pavement. I also want to add, you know, Roland, we talked about Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson had a chance, you know, working on Hill, work with her office and wishing her best in retirement. But, you know, we also know, Roland, in terms of how these, you know, um, recently talked about relationships, Eddie Bernice Johnson, you know, everyone, when they're retiring, you have your person or your people, mm -hmm. right, that you kind of right. want, you know, want to slide right in and right after you leave office. This is how the game goes. We know this. And even when it comes to members of the CDC. But, that, but that's actually, if you, if you saw... But if you saw the town hall last night, that's actually not what happened. Uh, they didn't actually have a long relationship. It was actually what she saw. And uh, Johnson said last night she asked Crockett to run. So this wasn't like this wasn't one of those things where, again, right. this, what she said last. This wasn't like you had somebody who worked for them for 20 years. And then when they retire, then your person runs. No, she actually Johnson said she didn't even know her. She saw her. She saw what she was doing. And Johnson said she went to her and asked her to run. I, that, mm -hmm. that, I didn't even realize that until last night. Uh, but but again, it, 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 again, when I go back to you, you can have somebody who can pick you. They can anoint you. You still have to run. And so, yeah. uh, look, you got uh, early voting today. You got early voting tomorrow. You still got to hit out uh, Sunday and Monday. And, again, the lesson for people who are incumbents uh, or people who they thought were, were going to win, who had all the money, keep it, keep it. I mean, remember, Nina, Nina, you know, Nina Turner had a whole lot of money, but it was the outside money in Cleveland that had an impact on that race as well. It still comes down to how do you persuade people to go to the polls? That's the most important thing. Folks, folks hold tight one second. We come back. We're going to talk about what's happening here at Prairie View a &M University. They're about to go uh, to a transition uh, with an incoming president, with Ruth uh, Simmons retiring. Uh, we'll talk with uh, her chief of staff about what's happening here uh, uh, at PV. We'll also talk with an NPR correspondent about how the census, 14 states severely undercounted. Who got screwed in that? And Nick Saban. Oh, he had a whole lot to say about Deion Sanders and Jackson State, alleging they spent a million dollars to get a top recruit to come there. He went to my alma mater, Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher hit back. Uh, is Nick Saban feeling the heat because players are picking HBCUs over Power 5 schools? We'll discuss all of that in the second hour of Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Prairie View. Don't forget, download the Black Star Network app, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV, and support our Bring the Funk fan club with every dollar you give goes to support this show. Check out money orders. You can go to P.O. Box, five, uh, PO Box 57196, uh, Washington, 
DC 20037-0196. The Cash App is Dallas Sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. I'll be right back. Hmm. Why is it so hard to see Panther? What Bruh. deal? Wow. I mean, if you go to Amazon, I think I tried. Man. So I have a collection of. of That's of, a hard movie. They charge you three hundred dollars on Amazon. I was like, I'm not about to pay no four hundred dollars for yeah. a VHS cop. Yeah. What's the deal? Man, it is. It is interesting, Rowan. It is the movie they don't want you to see. Power to the people. It's funny. I made New Jack City. You can get it anywhere. Posse, you can see it anywhere. But but a movie that says that. It is not an accident that we medicated the black communities right around the time when they were getting militant, when you had the Panthers starting to organize, the people starting to vote and march on Washington. We, we let these communities get med medicated. In fact, that comes up in The Godfather, you know, where they say, as long as it stays in the mm -hmm. black communities. So we asked the question, they tried to say, ask us questions. I asked them, the, the reporters when we did, I said, listen, why is it a 13-year-old boy in the hood can find a, a way to buy a gun, some liquor, or church, or some crack, and yet, you can't find them to arrest those people. You can't arrest that deal. Why is that? I'm Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach and host of Get Wealthy. Let me hit you with a few numbers. African-Americans spend nine times the amount on ethnic beauty products and yet only own 1% of the beauty supply stores. It's an $18 billion industry. On the next Get Wealthy, you're gonna learn and hear from a woman who's turning this obstacle into an opportunity. We literally take you from A to Z on all of the things step-by-step step you need to have in place to open and run a very successful beauty supply store. That's right here with me, Deborah Owens, host of Get Wealthy, only on Black Star Network. Hi, this is Cheryl Lee Ralph. Hello, everyone. It's Kiara Sheard. Hey, I'm Taj. I'm Coco. And I'm Lily. And we're SWV. What's up, y'all? It's Ryan Destiny, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. campus of Prairie View A&M University. Uh, yesterday, of course, we were in Cedar Hill, Texas, and so uh, Coach Gary Blair, the former uh, head basketball coach at Texas A&M University women's team, uh, he wanted uh, to uh, have uh, lunch or dinner with me, so I said, well, look, I'm be in Dallas, so then I'll stop through College Station, and then I said, well, versus us going to Houston, because I'm going to be there at Jack Hayes High School tomorrow, presenting my uh, scholarship there, as well as uh, broadcasting live, I said, let's stop through Prairie View and do the show from there, so we called 
PV. And they were like, sure, come on by. And so uh, that's why we are here. Uh, President Ruth Simmons, uh, she's not on campus. We definitely would love to have her on the show, talk about her five-year tenure here at PV. She announced, of course, that she's retiring. Uh, and joining us right now is Kevin Hoffman. He is the chief of staff here uh, at PV. Uh, Kevin, how you doing? Doing good. Thank you for coming out and giving our campus some exposure. Oh, well, not a problem. So it's been a while since I've been here uh, at, at PV. A lot of things have happened over the past five years. Uh, there's been uh, a lot of improvement with uh, President Simmons. To talk about uh, the change that she has brought uh, to this university, to this campus, to the student body, faculty, and staff. Well, along with uh, our, our enrollment increasing, um, uh, our, our endowment has increased significantly. Um, just the awareness that she has brought uh, on a global scale, not only nationally but internationally, um, uh, to the university has brought in literally millions of dollars. And we've been able to uh, benefit significantly from that like, we, like never before. Uh, now, on the international piece, so it's a perfect example. Um, my uh, my nephew uh, was going uh, was going to come here for two years and then transfer to Texas A&M uh, to major in uh, construction management, uh, but then told his parents, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and stay here all four years uh, because of the number of international students how he's been able to meet. Uh, and so uh, talk about that, how uh, you've also changed in terms, of, uh, in terms of the type of student body you've been able to recruit here a much more international student body yeah, here at Prairie yeah, View. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'm a graduate from Prairie View A&M University, and, uh, uh, but that was back in the 80s, and um, it has opened up to a much more diverse audience over the course of the last several decades. In fact, um, you're talking about our architectural school, which uh, actually graduates more uh, minority architects than any other college um, in the country. Um, we're really proud of that. But no, we, we, we have uh, be become very diverse, um, not only just with, you know, our Hispanic students and our Asian students, but from all across, all across, all over the world. Uh, and that's something that a lot of people really don't uh, quite understand uh, because they make the assumption when they hear HBCU that it's only black students. But the reality is uh, there are a number of non-black students who now are seeing uh, the opportunities at historically black colleges and universities, uh, and they are taking advantage of that. Yeah, it's, and it's very convenient, right? Um, so we're 50 miles just outside of the, um, uh, the city of Houston. Um, very convenient from a commute standpoint. And um, a lot of a lot of folks in education and, and a lot of other fields actually um, come here to get their master's degrees. And it's been um, something that we encourage and we want to happen uh, in order to uh, continue to grow from a diversity standpoint. Uh, talk about the uh, enrollment. So uh, what, what sure. was it before and then how has it how has it grown? Sure, sure. Um, well, um, we were we were lingering around um, nine thousand or just under ten thousand. Um, recently previously we were we were when Ruth first started we were more around the, the, the seven eight thousand uh, mark um, but uh, it's increased not only because of her exposure but also because of the exposure of the colleges and some of the um, opportunities that have been made available since she's been here uh, the opportunities for um, different colleges to do different things, to do different, to, to, for the students to do different things, and for our faculty, uh, that, that's another great thing about Ruth, actually, is that uh, a, lot of, a lot of high caliber faculty folks have followed her uh, to the university. Uh, and what, this year, uh, visiting professor Nikki Giovanni?
Giovanni? That's right. That's right. Nico Giovanni writing program, something we're really proud of. It's, uh, it is a, a, a product of the McKenzie Scott um, uh, donation that was made $50 million, and uh, we're real proud of that. Uh, we're expanding it out to um, high schools in the community, and it's something that is um, a vital, vital uh, part of um, the education process here at Prairie View. One of the things that we talk a lot about um, uh, is, is uh, alumni giving. And a lot of HBCUs have had this issue because on average around 5% or so. Uh, have you all seen an increase in that in terms of uh, graduates of the university giving back uh, to the institution? I can't tell you the specific numbers. I just don't know them. But I can tell you that the, the campaigns to um, approach them and to get them involved and get them acclimated and get them activated is, is very aggressive compared to before as an alumni speaking. Um, I can tell you it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's becoming a much more robust program within the university. Uh, and obviously, uh, with with her retiring, uh, you're going to go th uh, go, yeah. go through a whole search. Uh, that's that's part of the uh, Texas A&M University Board of Regents. PB right. uh, is underneath that. Uh, that that's going to be a huge decision uh, to replace uh, someone uh, with the pedigree of President Simmons. Yeah, they're going to be stepping in some, uh, some trying to fill some very big shoes. Um, uh, she's going to be around, though. We're excited that she's not going to be. Um, uh, we're not we're, gonna, we're not going to be without her, um, and she's going to be working um, uh, with the university and with the system. Um, so we'll continue to be able to benefit from that, and we're looking forward to making sure that um, this process is um, is um, a transparent process, and that the community at whole is uh, is um, is aware and involved. Uh, for, and for folks who don't know, obviously, uh, we've been showing some of the video, uh, but, but so much has, has actually changed uh, because and not just buildings on this campus, but also uh, the expanded living opportunities uh, in and around this area as well. And so uh, yeah. this university actually drives economic development in this county. Absolutely. We, 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 we drive the, uh, a significant part of the economic component of, of Waller County. Um, and um, play play a vital role as far as um, employing is concerned, and, and, and many other things. And and we look at all of those entities: Waller County, the city of uh, Waller, Hempstead, those uh, Hempstead ISD, Waller ISD. They're all our partners in this process as far as trying to develop and and, and grow the county. It's it's one of the fastest growing counties um, in in the state. And of course, uh, folks may not realize uh, the land this university sits on. Yeah, yeah. 1,400 acres, 1,400-plus acres, um, and the, the history associated with it. A lot of folks don't realize that this was a slave plantation uh, back in the day, Alta Vista uh, plantation, and, and it was uh, dedicated um, to become uh, what it is today. And uh, who would have ever known um, that uh, this campus would produce such productive people? And you know that's our saying, Prairie View produces productive people. Uh, after the, the, the years... Um, in which it was um, owned by a Colonel Kirby, um, and, and it was a slave plantation. And, and look how far we've come. Absolutely. Yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If 
you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. The only mistake y'all chose those purple and gold colors. That's the only problem. See, if y'all chose Grambling's black and gold, I would have a whole different Uh, reaction. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying. No. Well, well, appreciate your comments. Uh, I, I, have an, I have a unique appreciation for black and gold as well, okay, so I, I really understand where you're coming from. So, but we're going to stick with all colors so here at Purdue. So, again, so like I said, my nephew goes here. My nephew goes here. And so if, if I told him, if you want me to wear anything in Prairie View, just make it all white or something like that, or just make it gold. Make it white and gold. I said, but I can't wear the purple and gold. <laughs> I hear you. I, I can't you. do it. Kevin, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks a bunch. Thanks for having us. I appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. All right, folks, we're going to go to a break. We come back. We're going to talk about uh, the undercounting of the census. It was NPR correspondent. 14 states and how we were impacted. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives. And we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. Next on A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, summertime when the living is easy, or is it? Summer vacations, class reunions, kids and summer camp, all fun, but stressful. You need to get into a summer mindset and have a plan. Oh, yes. Our panel gives us their favorite summer planning hacks on a next A Balanced Life with Dr. Jackie here at Black Star Network. 
Hi, I'm Gavin Houston. Hi, I'm Carl Payne. Hey, what's up, y'all? It's your boy, Jacob Lattimore, and you're now watching Roland Martin right now. here in the capital of Prairie View, A&M University. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, it is it's an absolutely gorgeous day. Y'all know I know my golf club is sitting over there, so I'm like, you know, I could have easily got a guest host today because this is a perfect time to be playing some golf. But, no, we're uh, glad to be here uh, with, with all of y'all. Let's talk about uh, the census. We, we, we told you uh, in 2020 how critically important the census was and the census count. Uh, you know we had to almost cuss those folks out to get them to spend some money with black-owned media. Uh, and we said this was going to happen, and we actually saw it. Uh, the Trump administration, uh, they did all they can, assisted by Republicans in many states, to screw over people to undercount folks. Well, now uh, we know for a fact uh, that this has had an impact on 14 uh, different states. NPR uh, reported this new census report confirming the undercounting in 14 states. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, uh, the census did not count one in 20 residents in Arkansas and Tennessee. Four other U.S. states had significant undercounts of their populations. That leads to a change in federal funding uh, for more than a decade. In Florida and Texas, undercounts cost them congressional seats. Even though Texas added two congressional seats, they actually could have had more. Residents in eight states were overcounted. In Minnesota and Rhode Island, overcounts saved them from losing seats. In the remaining 36 states, the overcounts and undercounts were not that significant. Uh, joining us right Right now is NPR correspondent uh, Hansi Luong. He's covered this story closely uh, from DZ. Hansi, glad to have you on the show. So, so here's a perfect example. So here I am uh, in Texas, and the Republicans in this state, it, it was unbelievable. They purposely did not put money into the census. And then late in the game, they went, oh, my God. Uh, it, we're going to cost ourselves two census, two congressional seats. And so then they tried to hurry up and do something. And so this report shows versus having two, they could have had more uh, seats in Congress had they actually cared enough to properly count the people in this state. Well, it's hard to say exactly how things could have turned out if Texas, if other, other state officials approached the 2020 census differently, because it's a very complicated a massive operation, the 2020 census. In addition to that, how House seats, how those electoral college votes are divvied up among the states, that's a very complicated process that really is about how each state's population size is relative to one another. And it's about a ranking system that ultimately divvies out those House seats. But I just also want to make very clear to your viewers, it's 14 states that had significant net miscounts. Six of those states had significant net undercounts. That's Arkansas, Florida, Illinois, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Texas. But eight states had net significant net overcounts. That's Delaware, Hawaii, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New York, Ohio, Rhode Island, and Utah. 
Wow. Uh, and and again, what happens is with administrations, they view the census differently. You had Republicans uh, who put a citizenship question on there, had to get sued, went all the way to the, uh, to, all the way up to the federal courts. We know they actually lied uh, about uh, this very issue. Uh, and so uh, this is when, when the census, you would think the census isn't political, but you literally had efforts by Republicans who did not want to count everyone. Uh, and because uh, they were sitting here trying to uh, minimize even those folks uh, who are um, uh, undocumented workers, illegal immigrants in the country. Well, you know, I, I think it's it's important to remember, given all that controversy over that now blocked citizenship question, there was no citizenship question on the 2020 census, something that actually a lot of people didn't end up realizing because there was just so much focus about it in the run-up to the 2020 census, and that could have possibly discouraged some households, particularly households with immigrants, from participating in the 2020 census. Census Bureau research showed that adding a question about U.S. citizenship status could have likely discouraged a lot of Latino households, Asian American households from participating. And, and you know, it's a big question about all the different controversies uh, because of the Trump administration's interference with the census. Let's not also forget that during the census in 2020, that was counting that was delayed in a lot of communities, that door knocking effort that's so important to getting communities of color counted, that effort was ultimately cut short by the Trump administration. And so the amount of time that the census we had was much, uh, was, was cut short, was shortened. And so there was a huge risk that people of color renters, rural residents, would be undercounted. Uh, questions for my panel. I'll start with you, Reese. Um, thank you for writing your article. I, I noticed that um, they haven't yet released national data on this, but it was very interesting that, um, and we can tell by the states that you noted were miscounted in terms of overcounted and undercounted, that the racial demographics likely played a factor because the whiter states were overcounted and the states that have a significant you know, um, Latino and black population were undercounted. Um, do you plan to do a follow-up once that, or, or how did you get this information and, and how can you shed some more light on that, that aspect of it? Well, all these results are from a follow-up survey that the Census Bureau conducts. It's known as a post-enumeration survey. And the Bureau has been releasing, uh, over the past few months, different sets of results. And actually, there are results showing the national-level differential undercounts and overcounts uh, based on race ethnicity. We found out a few oh. months ago that Latinos, nationally speaking, they were undercounted more than three times the rate of a decade earlier. And Native Americans living on reservations and Black people also had really high undercounts at the national level. And again, at the national level, white people who do not identify as Hispanic were overcounted, almost double the rate as compared to 2010. And Asian Americans were also overcounted. But, you know, a lot of census stakeholders, local and state officials have very similar questions to what you just posed, which is, we understand what it looks like at the national picture, the national level, but what does it look like 
at the state level? What does it look like at the county level? What does it look like in my city, in my town, the racial and ethnic breakdown? Because historically, we know that census participation, the quality of the counts defers from neighborhood to neighborhood, and it defers from demographic group to demographic group. The census does not count every person equally because of all of these different barriers to getting groups counted and getting them counted well. But we don't have that information. The Census Bureau's that follow-up survey was not designed to get uh, detailed metrics below the state level. Larry. Yeah, so yeah, thanks for your article. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you got into this undercount and overcounting. Talk a little about, because the census is, they're preparing obviously for the next census, right? They start right away. Talk a little about some of the methods, the sampling they use. I know that's a big issue, right, historically and, and, and now in terms of the methods they use in terms of counting folks, statistical analysis. So talk a little bit about some of the methods that maybe the census is talking about utilizing to maybe capture some people that they keep missing. And Roland talked about some of the things in terms of what's happening with Trump administration and Republicans in terms of the interference. But in terms from like a, a statistical perspective, what are some of the like new and improved methods the census is talking about utilizing? I think one thing to, to get off right off the bat is the Supreme Court ruled in 1999 that statistical sampling cannot be used in those census results, those state population counts that are used to debut up House seats and electoral college votes. So no statistical sampling is allowed there. That would be against the Supreme Court ruling. But the Census Bureau does use statistical techniques when they ultimately, you know, they, they know there's a household that exists, but that household did not fill out a form themselves. And when a door knocker came by, didn't answer the door or didn't give full information, or they had to rely on maybe the landlord or a neighbor uh, to kind of fill in the gaps. And then ultimately, they may have a lot of gaps to fill at the very end after all those efforts are kind of exhausted. And the Census Bureau then relies on a statistical technique known as imputation. And that's something that basically they take their best educated guess and, and look at the surrounding area and try to fill in the blanks in terms of the number of people in a household and also sometimes their demographic characteristics. And that's a technique that tends to overrepresent the population identifies as white and not Hispanic and underrepresent people of color. And the Census Bureau tries its best to avoid using that. That essentially is a last resort way to fill in the blanks. And, and really the best way to conduct the census is for households to participate, to volunteer in the information, to, to get counted themselves, and to answer those demographic questions themselves. That provides the most accurate information and really, really critical information, demographic information, for example, that race ethnicity data that's used to protect, uh, to, to enforce civil rights protections, including enforcing the Voting Rights Act. Greg, uh, thank you, Roland, and uh, thank you, Mr. Wang, for this 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 very informative kind of walkthrough. Uh, as you said, we know that that this post enumeration survey won't affect uh, house seats or anything this cycle. And as as Dr. Walker just said, it's going to really be used to help shape the 2030 census. You know, I'm curious, and this kind of follows up with what Reese was asking you. Some of your thoughts on other ways that census data can be used at the state and local level. I'm thinking about a place like, for example, Forsyth County, Georgia, which was notoriously racist uh, for uh, most of its existence, but now is over a third non-white, mostly Asian, with uh, Latinx coming in as well. I'm wondering, what, kind, what do you think that census data can tell us about migration patterns, 
about changing populations at the state and local level that can help perhaps even inform and shape our politics as we see this guy in Buffalo worried about a white replacement. But it isn't really, in terms of a national level, something that is, for me, as, as compelling as thinking about it at that state and local level. And, and, and how, how might this data that we have now help us think about how politics works out on racial and cultural lines? Well, you know, the census is a once-a-decade snapshot of who is living in the United States, and that includes all the states, all those counties and cities and towns and, and villages uh, in some parts of the country. And, and really, local and state officials rely on this data to get a sense of who is living in their communities and who might be living in their communities over the next five years, the next 10 years. You know, demographers rely on the census data to essentially set a new baseline in order to form their projections and in order to come up with population estimates of, you know, the, our community may be, a, looks like a certain way right now, but maybe five years, 10 years down the line, it may look a different way. And maybe they have to plan for more young families coming in, or maybe they're planning for a more an aging population. These are all, uh, the questions and, and trends that local and state officials are trying to stay ahead of in order to do that planning. And certainly uh, folks in the political world are also trying to stay ahead of in order to think about how to organize voters, how to reach out to voters, and think about their future constituents. Thank you. All right. Hansi Lo Wong with NPR. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot uh, for this report. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You're very welcome. All right, folks, when we come back, uh, Black Lives Matter Global uh, Foundation uh, held, held a uh, virtual news conference today, uh, unveiling uh, where they stand when it comes to transparency and also the fiscal health of the organization and their leadership. We'll show you some of that. We live streamed it uh, all as well. So you can go to our uh, YouTube channel or the Black Star Network app to check it out. And we got to talk about uh, Nick Saban. Man, he is not happy with these players being able to get uh, name, image, and likeness deals. We'll show you what he had to say where he tried to come after Jackson State and my alma mater, Texas A&M. Deion Sanders and Jimbo Fisher, they have responded. Mm. You're watching Rolling Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Prairie View A&M University right here on the Black Star Network. to the launch of the Mass Poor People's Low Wage Assembly and Moral March on Washington, D.C., June 18, 2022. We're rising up to demonstrate the compelling power that we, poor and low-income people, have to reconstruct society from the bottom up. And we need to do it with the loudest voices possible, the biggest actions possible. Because we know that there is no scarcity in this land. The only scarcity is the moral will to do what's right. those with sub-minimum wage jobs who can't afford sky-high rent. People with disabilities are the fastest growing minority group. It's crazy to me that in 2021, it's still legal for workplaces to pay a sub-minimum wage to people with disabilities. There are still so much trial and tribulations that we go through as indigenous people. We can't get a decent wage to sustain ourselves, nor can we get adequate housing. Veterans across this nation say enough is enough. We can't pat essential workers on the back on one day and then cut their health care the next day. Health is a political choice. What more do I need to do to prove that my voice is just as valuable as anyone else's? There are still forces in denial that would try to slow walk our transition to a clean economy and a just future for us all. We have an immoral system run by immoral people. But together we walk, and we walk and we fight. It's time for a change. Reconstruyamos esta gran nación. See, we are people of resilience as we fight these interlocking injustices together. When we work together, mobilize together, and rise together, 
We become a voice for the voiceless and we become an agent of change in a time where great change is needed. We need the third reconstruction to ensure that deaf people, people with disabilities, and all people can have the right to live and to thrive. We know what they are doing, but the question is, what are we going to do? Reconstruction begins when we change our mentality and say it's time for you to get your foot off of my neck. Hey, yo, peace, world. What's going on? It's the Love King of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. Martin here on the Capitol Preview, A&M University. Uh, earlier today, the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation Board of Directors held uh, a virtual news conference where uh, they talked about uh, the 990 forms they filed with the IRS showing uh, how they spent funds, how they've been able uh, to, uh, who they support, uh, and also talking about the transparency and how uh, they are now transitioning organization from the leadership of one of the three founders of the Black Lives Matter hashtag, Patrice Colors, to uh, a different board. And so they held three of the board members, uh, held this uh, virtual news conference with black media. Uh, it was a few days ago. They um, uh, worked with Associated Press. Associated Press uh, uh, dropped an exclusive story uh, showing uh, and talking about their particular spending. We actually, earlier, we live-streamed the entire event. And so if you want to go to our Black Star Network app, you can actually see the entire uh, call where they took questions and talked about uh, what they're doing. And there were uh, some critical questions that uh, I wanted answered when it comes to, when it came to hierarchy and their structure and how they are uh, being governed. And so here is some of today's uh, virtual news conference. Uh, first off, I got several questions, but first off, First, how many board members are there? There are three of you right now, but how many total board members do you have? Three, three in total. You are looking at all three of us, and we have plans to expand that our board up to uh, nine uh, over uh, the, the you know the coming year. Okay. Second thing is what? So actually, before I even get to that question. Uh, I appreciate you talking about the relationship with black media. I understand why you gave Associated Press the exclusive because it's AP, uh, but that's also the example of where also working with black owned media, some of us are, are members of Associated Press. And so we could have literally, that story could have been given to black owned media and we could have actually had it placed on the Associated Press wire. So I'm all about making sure that we also get exclusives. Uh, and so just understand that that could have been uh, achieved the same way with a black owned media uh, outlet. Just gonna let y'all know that. Um, the thing that, uh, what is the hierarchy? When I had Patrice on my show last year, he went through this and I am still, and I think this is part of the problem, completely confused with the hierarchy. You're the global foundation. So you have the activist piece that Melina is over. 
who controls the social media. So when Black Lives Matter is speaking, part of the deal is who's speaking? Is it the foundation? Is it the activist piece? You have all of these different pieces. So are you going to provide a flow chart so we understand exactly what this whole thing is? Because even to me, it is still greatly confusing who's who, who does what, who's over what, stuff along those lines. Yeah, I can maybe take a, a first stab at that. Um, and, uh, you know, others, please chime in. You know, I think for, for, to your first piece, yes, we, we intend on um, uh, ensuring that our re relationship with Black media, Black media outlets remain strong and uh, Roland, we will, you know, I, I think we got some announcements in the, in the pipeline um, that we want to be able to work with you um, on uh, in terms of getting out to our community. Um, and so thank you for that reminder. But, you know, the, the BLM ecosystem um, went through a transformation in 2020. Um, the global network, um, you know, there was one organization uh, for Black Lives Matter, which was the global network. And we had all of the chapters connected to the global network. Um, and when uh, Patrice stepped back in, essentially, uh, a main part of her tenure was around reorganizing and restructuring the, the BLM ecosystem. And you know, how that happened was um, the foundation, of course, understanding that we need to be able to resource the front lines and build Black power um, and uh, ensure that, the, that uh, we are disrupting philanthropy uh, for, for Black people. The foundation has turned into that, 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 you know, as mentioned, the largest abolitionist philanthropic foundation um, organization that has ever existed in the nation's history. Um, our sibling organization, BLM Grassroots, was formed, and that was really at the uh, request of the, the BLM chapters, having uh, autonomy and uh, over, you know, their own resources and budgets in order to do that. The, the work on the front lines was really important. And so BLM Grassroots was formed. And to your point, um, my dear sister, Melina Abdullah, is the uh, director of BLM Grassroots. And so they are do the, the frontline organizing on behalf of Black Lives Matter. And then separately, um, Black Lives Matter PAC was formed in which, um, you know, we uh, thought about what it means to um, build um, Black power in the, the, the halls of, of Congress and across state houses and, and, and local municipalities around the country. And, you know, what does it look like to bring the demands from the streets to the halls of power? And so that part of the uh, BLM ecosystem really focuses on electoral work. And so um, those are the three different sibling entities of Black Lives Matter, um, sort of as, 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 as it relates to us. But of course, the idea, the movement um, Black Lives Matter is much bigger than just three organizations. Um, we've uh, got hundreds of uh, abolitionist-focused grassroots organizations across the ecosystem, and obviously so many other Black-led organizations. And, um, but just wanted to provide that, um, that education on how our ecosystem transformed in 2020. Okay. Okay, this is why I'm going back. So there are three separate entities, but do you control all three? Because when I hear separate entities, so you have the PAC, 
you have the grassroots and then you have the foundation. So is the foundation simply funding the others or are you actually over those? So do the leaders of the PAC report to you? Do the leaders of the grassroots report to you? Uh, so that's so that's why when I, when I again when I hear hierarchy, so I know what Melina's title is, but who does she report to, or does she run that entity? Does that entity have its own board? Does the PAC have its own board? Or do, they have, do they have their own infrastructure? That's what that's that's why I'm saying it's still sort of like sort of like all these different pieces. Yeah, great question. Yeah, um, and, and hierarchy, and I know we are a de decentralized movement, and so it is. Um, sometimes hard to uh, talk about it in terms of hierarchy, but to answer your question, yeah, they, they are not all, um, uh, you know, um, they, they, so if you're looking at a map, they all have dotted lines next to each other, right? Um, so their own, their, their own autonomous organizations, the C3, which is the foundation, uh, BLMGNF um, as a C3, we you know, we represent that board, we are that board. Um, and then BLM Grassroots has its own um, organization and structure and governance separate from the foundation. Uh, they do not, quote unquote, um, report to us. Melina uh, Abdullah as the director of BLM Grassroots um, has a, you know, a, a team that she works with, um, which is very separate from the, the, the governance structure of the, the foundation. Um, and then that is the same for the PAC. The PAC currently, though, uh, is um, sort of co-run by both members of Grassroots and the foundation. So it is it, an advisory board runs the PAC at this moment. And so Melina Abdullah sits on the advisory board. Angela Austin from BLM Michigan sits on the advisory board. And then, you know, members of the foundation sit on the advisory board as well. But it is a separate organization, autonomous, has its own reporting structures, um, and a separate entity um, as well is organized as a PAC uh, and not a C3. Again, folks, if you want to see uh, the, the full uh, discussion, just simply go to the Black Star Network app. You can do so. I want to bring in my panel now, uh, Larry, uh, Greg, and Reese. Uh, and uh, so, so, Greg, I want to start with you. This is something that um, uh, a number of um, right-wing organizations obviously have been attacking uh, Black Lives Matter, um, the grassroots folks, the foundation as well. Uh, you've had um, black reporters uh, with New York Magazine and others that have actually done some of this reporting uh, as well. The, so I, 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 want, I think several things I think have been at play here. First and foremost, uh, let's, just, let's just be real. Um, this was an entity that was in grossly unprepared for the influx of, of funds and attention. It was literally, as some said, trying to build uh, a building uh, and actually run a business while you're building the building in the building. And, and, and I think what you're seeing here uh, is uh, a very deliberate attempt uh, to try to get a handle on these uh, three distinct pieces. The reason I kept asking for the clarity there uh, is because if someone gi is giving money to, quote, Black Lives Matter, 
what are they giving it to? You have this separate entity, uh, which is the grassroots piece. Uh, then you have the foundation. Then, of course, you have the political action committee. The political action committee uh, can give money to and endorse candidates. The foundation cannot. Uh, the grassroots uh, piece of Black Lives Matter is also a foundation. Uh, and so they're separate. And so what I kept getting to is, okay, who's like, what's the hierarchy? Who's running the foundation? The grassroots piece, who's running that? Do they have their own separate board? Uh, the the same way. And if there's an explanation for people to understand this, let's say the Congressional Black Caucus. You have the Congressional Black Caucus made over CBC members, but there's a Congressional Black Caucus Foundation that puts on the annual legislative conference. There's the Congressional Black Caucus Institute that puts on programming in different places around the country. Then you have the Congressional Black Caucus Political Action Committee. Those are three separate distinct entities, but they still are all related to the Congressional Black Caucus. That is what I think is happening with BLM here. Uh, and so putting people in place, putting the infrastructure in place, Greg, is really what, what is necessary. Otherwise, the attacks are going to continue as to what are you doing? How are you spending the money and the governance? Because, frankly, the people at large, they don't know what the hell is the foundation. They don't know what the hell is the grassroots. What's the pack? They just hear Black Lives Matter and assume it's all the same. Absolutely. Well, you answered the question, Roland. You asked them by what you just said. The people are given to a movement. They're given to an idea. And by the way, we can start by setting aside all the white nationalists, including all their billionaires and all their institutional apparatus and their Negro servants, like uh, whatever name is that went out there into the house. You know, set all them aside. They have an agenda. This is clearly the distinction between institutions and concepts. Uh, you know, you're standing on the campus of an institution. So when the Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd blood money started flowing in a panic fashion, uh, then you could give to a Prairie View. You could give to a Howard. You could give to. And so, you know, when the brother, with all due respect, and first of all, you can't run nothing with a triumvirate. The Romans found that out in the in the fourth century, uh, four, 43 B.C., I mean, A.D. Right. with uh, Julius Caesar. So first of all, they got a triumvirate. And I didn't hear either of the sisters, including Sister Gay, who's supposed to be the chair of that triumvirate, talk. So anyway, uh, but my point is that when the brother said we're disrupting philanthropy, with all due respect, brother, that's not possible. People give money for control. And so unless you have an institution like the black church or the Prince Hall Masons or the fraternities and sororities or the Order Eastern Star or even HBCUs, funny how money changes situation. Understand that. All of the public dollars that go into education, whether it be charter or non-charter, essentially split many black people in the black community. And Roland, you've been first sitting there looking at that and participating in it around the issue of public charters. When money comes in, you have to have an institutional structure to absorb it. Otherwise, this is what happens. There was no Congressional Black Caucus until the early 1970s, but those are elected officials. They're in an existing institution. They can move forward from that. But when you come to the point where you have something that started as a hashtag, then emerged as a sentiment, then people who had money decide we want to participate with mixed motives. The history of HBCUs is the history of white people giving money to control the curriculum and control what's going on. Go ask Booker T. Washington about that. At that point, you are now in the money game. And so the answer to the question you raised, Roland, you answered it before the brother even said a word because you're basically saying you're trying to build an institution around a concept. That's not how it works. And these people who are giving money, oh, they got an agenda 
trust. You can't disrupt philanthropy, brother. You probably need to go and study that a little bit. Philanthropy is all about control. And right now, it's the tail wagging the dog. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Well, and, 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 and again, um, what you're dealing with here, Reese, is, is a perfect example. Uh, there was uh, an activist, uh, a black activist in Boston, her and her husband. Uh, they were indicted um, uh, for misuse of funds. The headline said BLM activists. And when we did the story, we, and one of the groups they actually received money from was the Black Lives Matter chapter there in Boston. Well, when we did the story, we simply called them a, a Boston activist. Uh, and in fact, um, uh, when we had posted, uh, one of our folks had posted the story, said BLM activist, I said, no, change that uh, to po- properly reflect it. Because what mainstream media, they simply slap Black Lives Matter on everything. I remember during the protest when all these right, white conservatives went crazy. Oh, Black Lives Matter were, were yelling pigs, uh, pigs in a blanket. Well, that was actually a chapter in Minnesota that wasn't even affiliated with the actual organization. Here's what people may not realize about Black Lives Matter, uh, 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 Reese, is that 
they tried to actually trademark the name Black Lives Matter. But because it was already in the public space uh, so quickly, uh, what happened was uh, they couldn't do it. And so the reverse happened. Normally, when you're talking about creating an organization, normally you secure all of your trademarks. You get the name, you get the website. Well, this was a, this was a, this was as if um, ten horses jumped out of the barn and they are trying to like hold the reins and they're being dragged along the way and so and all of a sudden the people are giving and these things are going so you had you've had people who, who are who are over black lives matter chapters that are not actually a part of black lives matter and so that's why i also asked on the on the activist side uh who the, what's their process they've now uh, created a process to certify the chapters and so so much uh i think of what's been going on here is again you didn't have the proper infrastructure with all three components and so they were easy targets for criticism inside of the movement and outside and i think now what they're trying to do is 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 again grab those reins and pull back no and now to be able to control uh, as best they can because it was really just going all over the place because it 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 frankly the movement was outpacing the infrastructure because there was there was none yeah, but I think it cuts both ways. I think the ambiguity and the notion and the idea that people were contributing to has greatly benefited Black Lives Matter, the global foundation, to the tune of over $100 million. And I think it's a little bit of a cop-out. I mean, yes, they've had to scale up massively because a massive influx, but they've been a multi-million dollar uh, philanthropic organization or, or, or movement for many, many years now. So I'm not going to let them off quite that easy. But I mean, my background. No, actually, is, actually, it hasn't been. It ha actually, it hasn't been many, many years. No, seriously, the the, real, the, so? the, the reality is this: it hasn't been. Dollars since you don't you don't think so? Because I mean, no, I, no, no. I've First of all, here's now. the deal. Okay, you let me know then. No, 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 no. The timeline, the timeline is a timeline, and that is when you follow when you follow the nine nineties. And again, what I have been trying to do over the last five or six years is even asking questions is like, okay, who are you and who's over what? Who's doing what? It wasn't until today when we were asking the questions that, oh, Black Lives Matter grassroots, they actually raised their own money. Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation raises their own money. So one of the things that I've asked them is, okay, so if somebody says, I want to support Black Lives Matter, who they're supporting? In fact, there was a Black Lives Matter organization in California that was actually against Black Lives Matter, okay? That's right, bro. And That's right. a corporation or several gave them like $8 million, and when they got exposed, they had to, oh, get the money back because there was an actual group called Black Lives Matter but they were not actually down, to, as Greg said, with the concept. And so that thing has been happening. So because they were unable to trademark the name, literally hundreds of organizations across the country can call themselves Black Lives Matter. So part of this deal is folks didn't know who the hell they were giving to. And so this is also the battle that's been going on as to if you're supporting the Black Lives Matter movement, 
who do you actually give to? So even now, the Global Network Foundation, I was on the phone uh, talking to someone. So if I actually want to support the protests and the activism, I need to go to that Black Lives Matter entity. If I want to support Black Lives Matter supporting candidates, I need to go to their PAC. But then if I want to then support Black Lives Matter Global Network that's supporting other abolitionist groups, I got to give to that entity. Part of their struggle is conveying to the public who the hell does what? Because for the public, it's just one Black Lives Matter. It's all the same. Well, my point wasn't that they've gotten 100% of the donations that people believe are going to Black Lives Matter. My point is, for many years, they've been getting some level of donations. Whether What proportion of that, of all the Black Lives Matter donations there are, I don't know that. But I would imagine it's been at least a million. And so I think as soon as you start getting any kind of donations, there needs to immediately be a lot more accountability in place. And I've and I've read reports and I've seen uh, grassroots complaints about the lack of infrastructure, the lack of uh, many of the things that they are resolving right now. But the point that I want to really hone in on is I think that it's good to be transparent about where the money went, but what they need to be more transparent about is how the decision-making happens to who gets the money. For instance, with Patrice Cullors, her her um her her partner um the father of her child you know he provided services that's not to say that there's anything corrupt about that but you know was it sole source what kind of you know uh, proposal process went into determining who were the security services who were the people that were providing event services so there is a number of things that they need to do because one thing I know as a person who works in finance is the appearance of impropriety is just as important or avoiding that is just as important of actual impropriety. And that's what they're not getting right now. And I think that some of the criticisms or some of the pushback around, well, you know, people are racist towards black organizations and black organizations have um, a, a lot more scrutiny. True. But when you're a hundred million dollar organization, that kind of goes out the window. You have to hold yourself to a higher standard. So what I saw is still falls way short of that, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that their intentions are well are good. But 2020 was two years ago now. So they need to they need to speed it up. Three people is not nearly enough. I need to see some org charts. We need to have a lot more stuff going on. Even on their Twitter, there's no I have a link to a, 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 a Black Lives Matter pack. The Twitter account have a link to the grassroots Twitter account. There's, they're really, you know, but, they're but, contributing but, but, but see to that, the. But that, but but Reese, but Reese, what you're, but Reese, what you're laying out though is literally the question that we were asking today. And it's because yeah, I know that's perfect, what I'm saying. Example, and they don't have the answer. No, 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 no. Hold on, I get no, 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 no. I get no, no. They actually, well, they actually do have the answers. What they're actually doing. Remember, Patrice resigned last year, so now. Uh, like one of the sisters, she's actually a new board member. So what they said on the call is that they have currently have three board members. The goal is to have nine board members. They're also trying to hire uh, an executive director. One of the things that they did uh, was they actually hired consultants uh, who are running the organization. But when you have consultants, you're not actually you're not having full time staff. And so again, what, what what we're seeing here, which is why, and trust me, I've even said to them, all right, if I'm calling. Who the hell am I even tr trying to call? Um, uh, we're trying to get somebody on. On. I think what they, for not, I think what what has been happening actually over the past uh, four or five months is 
the folks who are there now trying to get a handle on all of this. Larry, the $6 million home, the reality is this here. Okay, they've explained why they bought the home. That is actually a yoke around the neck of the organization because uh, they've talked about utilizing that for black creators, developing content, things along those lines. Uh, again, that's going to be their decision whether they keep it. Uh, it's an asset. Let's also be clear, a lot of black organizations don't own anything. They don't actually even own their headquarters. But the reality is when, from a public relations standpoint, a public standpoint, when someone hears $6 million used on a mansion, In unless Malibu, you not a fully and properly, exp uh, 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 unless you fully and properly explain that, you're going to get questions. But here's the other thing, Larry, that we also got to throw out there. Black Lives Matter voluntarily reveal how much they raise. I've been told that the NAACP has received upwards of $150 million after George Floyd's death. Come they on. Actually never, they've actually never publicly revealed that. The Urban League has gotten money. Uh, a whole bunch of black organizations have gotten millions of dollars in the wake of the death of George Floyd, and they didn't, didn't do what Black Lives Matter did and say publicly, what they're doing with the money, how much they got. Yeah, so, Roland, I, I wear a couple, in terms of my responsibility, I currently serve as chair of a, of a foundation now. So listen to that conversation. You asked some really important questions. There are a lot of red flags. So the $6 million house, listen, maybe they do what the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation does in terms of having a, a building, right, where, like you said, they have staff, regardless of how much money it, it, it costs, they have staff. But the point you made about them not having hired an ED. Also, you, you asked about essentially a flow chart. So who's the chair, vice chair, treasurer, recording secretary? And, you know, prior to these, these three individuals being involved, and I know we talked about, you know, was involved previously, it just seems unclear. We're talking about a lot of money. And then who was really controlling the purse, purse strings from day to day, right? And so Reese talked about her background in finance. So it's like I said, as, as someone who certainly served on the board, when I when I hear them talk about, you know, we talk about the amount of money that they brought in, and then you have these different entities, and then there's no clear, it's not clear about who, who does what, and then there's obviously a lot of crossover. It does kind of make you think that something is not quite right here. I do give them credit for talking about, the, you know, the millions of dollars that they've gotten. You highlighted that some of the other organizations that we all, you know, are really important, NAACP, et cetera, haven't highlighted how much money they've got and in terms of what they're doing with it. But like I said, in prison, my experience, it, it really sounds like you know, they, they have a consultant. They need an experienced ED, and then they really need to have a clear uh, understanding, not only in terms of internally, but explain to people externally, like, you know, we're discussing it now, but other folks who are donating, how exactly these three entities uh, work to collaborate and how in which ways are, are they different in terms of they're their all 501c3s. So there, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, but they better do it quickly because they're bringing a lot of unwanted, unwanted attention. Um, obviously, you talked about you know these these right-wing organizations always attacking black organizations, but in terms of black folks trusting them to give them money, as you know, the importance of the Black Lives Matter movement, they need to be really clear. Like I said, who's leading? Who's their ED? Who's having the day-to-day -day operations? Who's their what their board member is? And also, what are their bylaws look like? Because that's another thing that's going to be really important in terms of in terms of who gets elected, how you elect board members. What do your bylaws say? And also, like things like give or get, all those other yeah, details I that mean, are important as it relates to a foundation. 
I mean, Roll, this rolling. is. I mean, oh, this is. This is. This is literally the equivalent. Uh, I would dare say this is the equivalent of you having um, a cash-based business, and all of a sudden, uh, your product is blowing up. And man, now you sitting here going, okay, I'm one person. Now I got to, I, I got to act. Now I got employees. I got to hire HR. I got to have an HR handbook. I got. I mean, you have to put it together. This is why early on, early on, I was talking to individual activists, and I was texting them, tweeting them. I kept saying, I remember there were several activists. They had put some stuff out on social media about um, about about donating, and I hit them offline. I said, hey, make sure that that money is being sent to a fiscal agent because you're going to get taxed. If all of a sudden... People out there are giving, contributing to you twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. The IRS is going to see that as taxable income. If you have not created an, an infrastructure to receive that money, you're going to have a problem. Uh, people have to remember that the, the IRS was looking at black civil rights organizations during uh, the Black Freedom Movement. It's always following the money. I think where they are now, and, and again, I was glad, look, I was pushing them to have this call today uh, because there were so many questions. And again, when people are raising questions and no one is actually responding with the answers, that begets more questions. And the only person who was out responding was Patrice, obviously, because her name has been associated with, but she resigned a year ago. So part of the deal is, how is the old person, the old leader, responding to current questions? And so that's also what's going on here. And so what I've asked them, I would like for them to come on this show because I have more questions that I think need, that need to be answered so people have a better understanding of what's going on uh, when it comes to what they're doing. But I will say this to everybody who's watching, to all black folks. Let's, and this is very clear, I am not saying do not question Black Lives Matter. I am not saying do not hold them accountable. What I am saying is black folks, we had better be willing to question other black organizations and other entities that supposedly have black interests, because a lot of times we are more willing to criticize our own than other folks and challenge them on what they're doing with the resources and the money that supposedly is supposed to be uh, impacting black folks. And so that's uh, one of the critical things that I think is also uh, important. I think, Greg, you wanted to make a comment there. Yeah, right. Quick, Roland. I know we got to go, but but. You know, it's funny because we live in a society where our attention spans are short and our memories are maybe even shorter. We we know that this started with Alicia Garza and Patrice Cullors and Opal Chimetti off a hashtag. I think Alicia uh, Garza tweeted something like Our Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. And then yep. uh, Patrice yep. put the hashtag on in the wake of the Zimmerman verdict. And then a year later, not even a year later, Mike Brown and all these young people are driven to Ferguson and the money is coming in, but not really. And these aren't people who have organization. Remember our friend with the blue vest who was everywhere and now is nowhere. Well, this is during the Obama administration. And then what you see is by 2015, they actually do try to meet. They met in Cleveland. They've met in Cleveland. These People who didn't know each other, some people did. They brought in elders. How can we form a network? That, that, that was called the, uh, that. That was called the movement. That was called the movement. So, and again, though, again, movement that was called the lives. movement for Black Lives, That's which exactly which right. which still exists. 
but it's an umbrella group of 150 different organizations. So the movement for black lives is actually different than the Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation. Absolutely. Absolutely, Roland. Exactly. I mean, uh, people like uh, our sister down in Jackson, um, uh, Chokwe's sister, um, uh, Rukia, Lumumba, all of yep. them, they were there. And, and so you're exactly right. And so, of course, then what happens, of course, is the 2016 presidential election. Remember when the sister came and disrupted Bernie Sanders and you had these folks are many of them know each other. Many of them don't. It was a movement. And then, of course, Donald Trump and the white nationalists are able to use the phrase as something to organize against. And who could have saw this coming? All of us, because we've lived in this terror since they brought us over here, which is what a triumvirate of black death happens in 20. 20. You see Ahmaud Aubrey, then Breonna Taylor, then George Floyd, the anniversary we're coming up on in a couple of days. And that's when all this money starts pouring out because it converged with the pandemic. And you basically, as you say, you have then outside money creating a dilemma. But this movement had tried to get its legs under it four years before. But that black death that rain money on places like the campus you're standing, that rain money on the NAACP, rain money on an idea. But by then, people who didn't know each other had fallen out. Is Garza talking to colors? Is colors talk? They weren't people who were involved in the organization. And up until those deaths converged after four years of the Trump administration, it wasn't even a thing that would have boiled over. Roland, you've interviewed on this show people involved with the network that these three folks are trying to help put together now who have criticized, as Reese said, them internally because they say, we were there, we were involved, but we fell out with this person and we didn't get a nickel. So, I mean, at the end of the day, as you say, we have to step back and put this thing in context to remember that we have real and open enemies in this world and in this country. That boy that killed those 10 people in Buffalo who did not act alone, I don't believe, I read all that damn manifesto, didn't I? And by the way, son, Say it with your chest. You said if you got captured, you'd plead uh, guilty. But you didn't do that, did you, you punk? My point is they are also bankrolled in terms of that weaponized propaganda with people with institutions. You do not fight institutions with individuals. And as you say, finally, in, in their defense, and you've made this clear, they tried to get their legs out from, in, under them years before this. But once their money gets in this situation, the thing could go a way that you could never predict. Well, and, and, and I'll tell you, uh, before we go to break, because I, I, def I definitely want to deal with the Deion Sanders, Nick Saban uh, thing uh, with, with the pain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line prop and parlay bets with a king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER from bbc radio 4 britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip i thought in that moment oh my god 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Uh, I, I remember, i never forget reading an article, uh, and there were these uh, young activists um, on the East Coast, and uh, there were some um, um, uh, white donors. They wanted to give to them. They, no, absolutely not. Then a year <laughs> later, they were like, what the hell are we thinking? Because what happened was the folks who were activists were like, damn, we got bills to pay. We got apartments. We got light bills. We got food bills. And so what, 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 what happened here was there were a number of people who were thrust into activism who were never a part of organizations. That's now, right. There are people who are listening, who are watching, and who will say, oh, man, we need new organizations. But, folks, this is why Stokely Carmichael said, any, you cannot find a black person who's been able to achieve anything unless they've done so through an organization. Because what an organization gives you is infrastructure to be able to move and grow. And then when you get tired, somebody else can step in. So many people, a lot, there are a lot of young sisters and brothers across the country over the last decade have learned why institutions matter, organizations matter, why trademarking a name, having copyrights, having a bank account, having all of those things, having, as, as, as Larry said, bylaws, uh, having a constitution, having a process to elect people. I know this whole this decentralized uh, leadership thing was a part of Occupy Wall Street and a lot of people, uh, a lot of young black activists, because they didn't want that one person. They didn't want that Dr. King. They didn't want that Reverend Jackson. They didn't want that. But the reality is this. And Reese talked about on the, on the accounting side, you cannot have an organization unless you have hierarchy. You cannot have an organization unless you have people in place, general counsel, HR, all of those different pieces. And so people have great intentions, but just like businesses, if you do not put the pieces of the business in place, your business will fail, and you will have all the growing pains. You will have, you will be owing back taxes. You will, oh well, who's supposed to pay the property taxes? Who's supposed to pay this? Who oh I never had to pay the state taxes and the federal taxes. 
that's infrastructure. And so I think what Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation, what they are now dealing with is they're now dealing with having to put the infrastructure together to be able to properly handle and disseminate nearly $100 million. But if you ain't got an organization to do it, you're not going to be able to be successful. And so uh, I look forward to them coming on the show. I'm going to keep you all abreast what's happening with them. Can Short think, break. We're going to come back. Nick Saban actually showed. Uh, go ahead. I just want to say, you know, going to Dr. Carr's point, I think that what Black Lives Matter, the founder, the, the organization needs to do is take some of the personal and some of the emotion out of it. You know, when I read Patrice Culler saying she trusts this person or that person, and that's how they got these, you know, $100,000 or $970,000 contract. In order for an organization to be successful, there has to be a more democracy to it. It has to be more credentials-based. It has to be more uh, fairness in terms of a broader pool that they're going from. So if they get away from the cronyism, if they get away from who they... It's called process. Yes, process. Boom. That's what it boils down to. Get away from just who you like and the cool club and put some process and and fairness and transparency But But... But I did ask the question and... What what I, what I was told is that uh, the individual with a security contract has a security company, has done security. But part of the deal is you got to tell people that. The impression that has been given thus far is that this money was just given to some her baby daddy. That's literally how it's been, as opposed no to say, this is who this person is. This is their security company. This is how long they've done security. This is the other people, other clients they've had. They actually have a real security company that hasn't been done. But part of that deal is they haven't had a communication apparatus to be able to tell their own story. And so so all of the things that we're saying, they literally are having to build those things, which is a part of the reason why there have been so many questions. And so uh, we got more questions and, of course, hope to get more answers. Real quick break. We'll be back and we'll talk about Nick Saban. He didn't open a can. I don't know if he really wanted to do that. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about the money. We come back and roll them out unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Pull up a chair, take your seat. The Black Tape with me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network. Every week, we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. You want me to do something crazy, but I don't know what to do. I'd rather just sit here. Hi, this is Cheryl Lee Ralph, and you are watching Roland Martin unfiltered. I mean, could it be any other way? Really? It's Roland Martin. All right, folks, Roland Martin here on the campus of Prairie View A&M University. Last couple of years, uh, actually not last couple of years, uh, you have seen uh, a number of uh, top players give consideration to HBCUs. Uh, Howard University, a couple of years ago, signed the number one basketball recruit uh, in the country. Last uh, This year, Jackson State signed the number one dual threat quarterback in the country, Travis Hunter. That caused uh, all of these folks to say, oh, my God, what is Deion Sanders doing? What is Jackson State doing? Well, last night, uh, Nick Saban, the head coach of Alabama, uh, was uh, at an event where they were trying to raise money for their program. And let's just say uh, Nick opened a can of worms going after Jackson State and my alma mater, Texas A&M. Listen. And you've read about them. You know who they are. 
I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. A&M was first. A&M bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. All right, we didn't buy one player. All right, but I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. There are rules, just like Nate said. We have a rule right now that says you cannot use name, image, and likeness to entice a player to come to your school. Hell, read about it in the paper. I mean, Jackson State paid a guy a million dollars last year that was a really good Division I player to come to school. It was in the paper, and they bragged about it. Mm, really? Well, Jimbo Fisher, uh, who worked with uh, on the staff with uh, uh, Nick Saban when they were at LSU, uh, let's just say he was a little pissed off, held a 10-minute news conference, and he was breathing fire the entire time. We do things, the ethics in which we do things, and these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen, and it's ridiculous But when, when he's not on top. And the parody in college football he's been talking about, go talk to coaches who coach for him. You'll find out all the parody. Go dig into wherever he's been. You can find out anything. And it's a shame that you got to sit here and defend 17-year-old kids and families and Texas A&M because we do things right, we're always going to do things right. But we're, not, we're always going to be here. We're doing a heck of a job. These coaches have done a great job. Our players have done a great job. The whole organization of recruiting people. It's despicable that we got to sit here at this level of ball and, and say these things to defend the people of this organization, the kids, 17-year-old kids and their families. It's amazing. All right, well, Travis Hunter uh, actually sent this tweet out. I got a meal, but my mom still stay in a three-bedroom house with five kids uh, with a laughing emoji. Uh, then Deion Sanders uh, responded to his tweet, said, I don't even make a million LOL laughing emojis. That was about nine hours ago. He gave an interview uh, with Gene Jock Taylor of Anscape uh, where he said, uh, Deion said, no, nah, we ain't about to have a private conversation. Coach Saban, he probably called me. He said, no, nah, you made your comments in public. We're going to talk about this thing in public. Uh, and also, uh, uh, Jimbo Fisher said Nick Saban called him. Saban said, no, nah, I ain't taking this phone call. Then, say, then Fish Fisher went even more so. He said, hey, y'all should look into Nick Saban's past. Now, his was interesting with this whole deal. And, Greg, we talked about this on the show. When top black players in basketball and football start saying the hell with the major uh, white schools and start coming to HBCUs, then these white coaches are going to lose their mind because if what Travis Hunter has done starts a trend not way again, he was a number one dual threat quarterback in the country. He committed to Florida State. He start coming to a Jackson State. You got Hugh, uh, you got Hugh Jackson hires the head coach uh, at uh, Grambling. You got Reggie Theus, who's the athletic director, basketball coach now at Bethune Cookman. You've got Eddie George, the head coach uh, at uh, Tennessee uh, uh, State. Prairie View uh, has hired uh, their new coach. What is Bubba's last name? Bob McDowell used to play with the, used to play with the Tennessee Titans. Uh, he's now uh, the head coach here. So now what's happening is you got Gary Payton who's coaching uh, in Oakland. Now all of a sudden, with name, image, and likeness, now all of a sudden you can create these collectives. If you got a player who, let's say, uh, it was a three or four star sitting on the bench for three years at Alabama, they can now go to other school. They see what's going on. Nick Saban's trying to protect that nine and a half million dollars he's making. Greg, exactly right, Roland. Let me be very clear. As far as athletics is concerned, every one of those quote unquote major 
colleges are plantations. Texas A&M produced Bear Bryant. Remember, uh, Sam Bam Cunningham, who just made transition last September in 1970, when University of Southern California beat the hell out of the University of Alabama in their stadium, Legion Field in Tuscaloosa. Bear Bryant is reputed to have said, I got to get me one of them. Guess, who, guess what was the biggest commercial for integration in the history of the United States? Black athletes. And in the NBA, they tried to collude with the NC2A a couple of years ago and put that Rich Paul rule in. Why? Because you got uh, LeBron James high school buddy with more power than all these damn general managers and the commissioner of the NBA. And when it comes to professional athletics, known as the slave economic concern, also the Southeastern Conference, the Big Ten and Pac, notice I said professional. Why? Because that boy Saban knows that he ain't got to go out because the U of A is a brand. Texas A&M is a brand. USC, Ohio State, Michigan are brands. Name, image, and likeness blew it up, as you said, Roland, as you've been talking about it for months. With NIL, you can take your image anywhere. Well, guess what? The only thing holding this whole criminal enterprise together was not having a slave rebellion. Oh, but it looks like in Coach Prime, you got the right one, because Coach Prime knows that that plantation relies on you having overseers at the high school level who don't even tell these black athletes about HBCUs. So what did Coach Prime do? A couple of months ago, he tweets out, high school coaches, give me a chance to come on campus. See, you can't look away with Coach Prime. Why? Because he was prime time. He was your man when he was making you them plantation dollars at, at Florida State. But now he knows how y'all set this up. So these boys and girls, and I'm talking about women too in, in terms of basketball, never see the assistant coaches the plantation send out. And then finally, Coach Prime, and I know you saw his press conference today, Roland, just what he said, and just why you, I'm sure you said what you said. He said, Coach Saban wasn't talking to me. Coach Saban wasn't talking to Jimbo Fisher. He said he was talking to his boosters. He was giving, talking to his alumni. He was talking to his givers. He was trying to get that money, Sanders said. That was what he was doing. He was just trying to get us to go where he is trying to get to. Meaning what? Look here, boy. When they start going to the HBCUs, the plantation game is over, and Nick Saban is fighting for his life, and I hope you cut his whole damn head off, because I wouldn't send nobody related to me by blood to the University of Alabama. Go on, Tuskegee. Go on to Alabama A&M. Go on to Alabama State. Research the history of these schools. See how these, NBA, these NFL coaches used to come on the campus of a place like Tennessee State and pick the brain of coaches like Joe Gillum Sr., whose right. son was the quarterback for Tennessee State and who should have been in the Hall of Fame with the Pittsburgh Steelers and hadn't screwed him for a rag-ass arm quarterback named Terry Bradshaw. Go hear about Elders Diggy. We can talk about this all night, and you've talked about it so many times, Roland. No need more talk about that. That boy is scared. And guess what, Nick? You better be scared as shit because they're coming for you now, and they know where I'm all the money is. I'm going to give you some numbers, Larry. Alabama... Alabama's athletic budget, $180 million. Nick Saban gets $9.5 million. The entire Jackson State athletic budget is $8 million. Supposedly, Jackson State gave Travis a $1 million. Dion only makes $300,000 at Jackson State. The bottom line is what they are freaking out. They are freaking out that just like a lot of the top black academic uh, students uh, again I, I'll use I'll use my nephew as an example okay I'm an A&M graduate his mama is his daddy is his other uncle is okay so you got you got you got five you got four four Aggies in the family he was he came to Prairie View for two years and he was going to go to A&M and finish and get his degree in construction management chose to stay here for the four years and so 
one of the top, top academic students. Which, what they are afraid of, they are afraid of the top athletic black players doing the same thing that's happening on the academic side because they understand that that's their meal ticket. Yeah, Roland, we had in the last 24 hours shots fired. Nick Saban uh, going after your boy Jimbo Fisher, and, and unfortunately, Deion got caught in the middle. But the, the one thing that's really important here in terms of what you were talking about and, and, and Dr. Carr talked about is really talking about the empowerment of the black athlete. So that's what's really going on here. Financial and then, once again, NIL controlling your likeness. We've been talking about for decades in terms of making sure that black athletes, because I'm really talking about black athletes here, have the opportunity to, to make money because there's, you know, universities selling jerseys, et cetera. But listen, you talked about it. Nick Saban is making, is making plenty of money. He's trying to protect the UA um, in terms of how much, how easy they, they, can, they can recruit all over the country. They don't just go to the southern, southern United States. They go to California and recruit guys. So this, 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 you know, this, this comments by Nick Saban is he's just trying to make sure he can continue to get the guys to get. And you're right. When Deion Sanders was able, has been able to do what he's been able to do in terms of recruiting, and also the guys are coming through the transfer protocol that come from Jackson State also, what is he shook at the foundation? And you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars, right? So Brother Carr's talking about NCAA. It is basically a plantation, as he talked about. But once again, NIL, you were, you were having these black athletes be empowered to go wherever they want to go. We just saw a transfer from Pitt, Addison transfer, you know, wide receiver from Pitt, transfer from Pitt to USC. But once again, power and control. And Saban doesn't like, even though he's won multiple national championships, he always wants to be number one. And you talked about Jimbo Fisher used to be his, his former offensive coordinator. So there's a, there's a lot of some personal issues going on there. But listen, Jackson State and a few other HBCUs, Howard, et cetera, are going to be able to recruit these students because they have history. Jackson State had sweetness when graduated from there. Walter Payton, one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. Jackson State has produced Hall of Famers. So are several HBCUs. So when people are making this argument about why going to Jackson State, they produce like four Hall of Famers. So students, you know, young black brothers and sisters that go there have an opportunity to play in WNBA, go play in the NFL, et cetera, get a quality education, and, be, and people see their humanity at the same time. Reese, here's why coaches like Jimbo Fisher are losing their mind. And that is because players now get to get paid. First of all, he sat there and talked about, oh, we didn't we didn't buy any players. Come on, Roland. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> a brother a brother tweeted today that he said, I wasn't going to go public with this. He said, I've worked out with many former Alabama players who lamented that they made more money at Alabama than they were making on the practice squads in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know who Nick think he fooling. I don't know who Nick think he fooling. But if he actually thinks that we are this stupid, that Alabama has not been play, pay, playing players, come on, bro. The bottom line is this here. They are upset that they don't get to control the players. It's a brother who is the uh, top receiver in the country at the University of Pittsburgh. He has said, I'm entering the transfer portal. I want 700000 You got a <laughs> basketball. The University of Miami, one of their alumni has set up a NIL deal. They paid an incoming player I think 500000 a part of the NIL. 
with a brother who's already there is an all-American. He said, yo, if I don't get 800000 I'm leaving. <laughs> what they don't like, and then, then all these coaches, well, this is not right. The players are making decisions on where to go because of the money. Your punk ass deciding where to coach because of the money. Right. That city. What they don't like, they don't. And, and then, uh, last point, Reese, all these white coaches, a lot of them conservative. I thought y'all believe in the free market. Hmm. Ain't that something. I thought the free market says, get what you can, where you can. Oh, now the players get paid. Now they now they literally are going to Congress saying, y'all got to pass a law. This unfair. Go, go ahead. Well, you know, first of all, get money. Get every last one of y'all, get every cent that you can get. I'm all here for it. But what this is revealing is white folks who have every privilege, every advantage to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars or over a hundred million dollar advantage, losing their shit when that advantage is still not enough. See, the thing is the Nick Sabans of the world don't want black folks to have shit unless they're the ones pulling the strings. They want these players to be their mules, tilling the fields, making him eight, nine million dollars or whatever, but God forbid that they get something out of the equation other than, you know, nice meals at the dining hall, maybe get to ride around a nice car, you know, free housing, whatever the situation may be. So he's salty. And he's just going to have to stay mad. At the end of the day, black schools have something that an Alabama school can compete with, and that's called the culture. It's called swag. It's called legacy. It's called history. And once more black folks and black athletes start realizing that their path doesn't have to go through these white schools and to be the boys on the fields for the Nick Sabans, they are in some deep shit. And so that's what he shook about. They're going to catch up. They're going to change the rules. They're going to have their money that they can throw out the players. But this is his opening salvo to say that. But it's not just about the money. And it's not even just about the specific player. It's about the control that they're losing. And it's about the danger that black athletes, knowing their worth, are valuing things beyond the white gaze of these, you know, always championship schools. That's what's really dangerous. And that's what they want to nip in the bud. And Deion Sanders being such a disruptor is also what they have a problem with because Nick Saban is a celebrated coach. All these coaches, white coaches are celebrated coaches, but God forbid you have a, 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 a provocative black man who is really changing the game just with the way that he can relate to these black players. So good on them. Stay mad, Nick. And, just quit tripping because we know your ass is going to be crooked and, 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 and fucked up and all that other kind of stuff and get the players eventually. So you lost this one. You lost this round. Get over it. That's right. You lost, and guess what? I want every brother who's in sport get paid. If the law Three. allows for you to get paid, ask for, because guess what? Nick getting paid, the school getting paid, they got TV contracts, they got endorsement deals, they having you signing helmets and jerseys, you ain't making no money, damn it, get paid. I told y'all, America is a capitalistic society. And the reality is, the talent has been making the money, and it's, it ain't no different what I've been saying to all these HBCUs. Y'all need to be looking at every single one of y'all contracts and saying, hold up, are we getting, are we are we properly uh, monetizing and getting our value? I said it. 
I don't understand how the, the State Fair Classic is not on television. Prairie View and Grambling should be looking at their contract and saying, okay, are we making enough money? Grambling should be able to get enough money for the State Fair Classic to bring their band to Dallas. They have it. Okay, somebody should be looking at that contract. All I'm simply saying is, folks, this comes down this comes down uh, to the money, taking advantage of the opportunities. And so, hey, if a HBCU can create a collective, Grambling has created a collective that allows for them to go create NIL deals for their players. That's exactly what should happen. So if you got some brother who's a backup to the backup at one of these Power 5 schools, Yo, go find fifty, seventy-five, a hundred thousand dollars and say, "Come on down," because guess what? The NFL will still find you. Jerry Rice is in the Hall of Fame, and he was down there at Little Bitty Mississippi Valley State. That's right. Trust me, yeah. when you got talent, oh, they'll find you. But get paid. So Nick Saban, you can cry all damn day you want to. We don't give a damn you crying. So Dion don't care. Jimbo, Texas A&M don't care. And trust me. I, I don't know whether the October 8th game is going to be in College Station or it's going to be in Tuscaloosa, but I will be on the sideline because I want to see who's going to get cussed out when A&M plays Alabama on October 8th. Y'all, that's it for us, Larry, Reese, Greg. I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Uh, Y'all, we got to go. Uh, it's been a great day. Uh, let me thank the folks at Prairie View A&M University for allowing us to stroll through. Y'all think I'm lying. We literally hit up on Monday and say, hey, we coming through. Can we do the show on the campus? They accommodated us so we certainly appreciate that uh so please y'all uh, uh and remember I, I keep telling alumni get back to your school don't be sitting here wearing your letters and talking about your school if you ain't sitting no damn check don't be sitting here spending money come back from homecoming and you buying hotel rooms tickets rental cars food and alcohol but you ain't left no check to the university for the next generation that's all I'm saying. Folks, that's it. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be live streaming at noon uh, out of the ceremony at Jack Hayes High School. Uh, we're giving away uh, two more of my scholarships. We did it last year for the first time. I'll be on the campus of uh, JY tomorrow, and we'll be broadcasting the show uh, from uh, Jack Hayes as well. So we'll be in Houston tomorrow. Thank you so very much, folks. I will see you tomorrow. Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. How? From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.